0: Hey welcome to another episode of Nostalgia and Now with Laguna Biatch. As always, it is your host, Kelly. I hope you had a great week. This week on the podcast, we have Brad Fischetti from LFO. His interview will be at the very end, but it was really interesting. He talked a lot about LFO's starting days and kind of what he's doing now to keep the LFO excitement alive and keep the story alive. But it is a really, really good interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. We do touch on Lou Pearlman just for a second. But we do bring him up a little bit. And you guys know that talking about Lou Pearlman is one of my favorite things to do. But yeah, I hope you guys have had an awesome week. My week, I had to dog sit over the weekend. I ran into, not ran into, my, this girl from high school came to Nashville, hit me up. We've talked a little bit over the last few years through like Instagram. But we weren't like close in high school, but we ended up hanging out. So that was fun. And yeah, I've just kind of been getting used to not having a job, which is really, really hard but I've been applying to places. I did wanna say, one thing about this podcast is we have no sponsors, right? Like this is all independent, I edit everything, there's no income coming in through my page unless you buy merch, which I've talked about before. Now there is one thing I wanted to kinda put out there. If people are into it, for sure, like please email me, please DM me, but I would love to feature small businesses on the podcast as a sponsor do like a 30 second read before the show. And then also in my Instagram story tag, be like sponsored by at so-and-so with a swipe up link. Maybe, maybe if you have a small business, you can give me like a 10% off code. So you know where the traffic is coming from. This is just something I kind of been thinking about because I do definitely want to support small businesses. So for like a low fixed rate, you can either maybe buy advertising for a week or for a month, we'll figure that out but I need to figure out like if that's even legal. I don't know if I will have, I mean, I obviously have to pay taxes. You always need to pay taxes if you're in the United States, but I just need to make sure it is legal and how I do it is legal. But I definitely want to highlight some small businesses. I mean, I'm sure you guys listen to other other podcasts and you're kind of sick of hearing like HelloFresh ads. So I was thinking that in that way, we can kind of help each other out. Let me know what you think of that idea. And yeah, so in the next few weeks, maybe we will be hearing from some small business owners and help them out a little bit, which would be awesome. Also, can I just say I was trying so hard to find the sound bit that I did about J Lo and A Rod because weeks ago I told you guys what they were gonna say. They pretty much said it word for word, verbatim, and now they're broken up, which we all knew was coming. It's not like. I mean, we all knew that was happening, right? I think so. I was just shocked that their statement was almost exactly what I said. And then I couldn't go back and find the original statement. And I was like, damn, I need to do better with my notes. That's an issue for me. I never know if I put like too much in the description, not enough in the description. And half the time I feel like I don't put enough because there are still people who are like, wait, you talk about pop culture? Yes, 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 yes. I promise you. Although we do the recaps, there's a lot more than just recaps. Um, one thing I also did not talk about is that Kendra Mayo is having a baby boy with her husband, so I just wanted to say congratulations to them. Obviously a baby is a blessing and I'm sure that baby is going to be so beautiful and so loved and adored. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to catch you guys up on. I feel like there is not, but something may pop into my head, who knows. I am still applying for jobs. I haven't been hearing back from jobs. Cover letters can fuck themselves. That's how I feel about that. <laughs> so on that note, let's do TRL where there are no requests and it's not live. <laughs> I still find, I can't help but giggle at that. I don't know why. I, I I am proud of that little one. I can't lie. I'm patting myself on the back right now. But for Netflix, at number 10, we have The Serpent. Number nine is Nick, Nikki, Dickie, and Dawn. Number eight, Who Killed Sarah? Number seven, Coco Melon, number six, The Circle, and I actually applied for The Circle. So I think that show is really good. I like that show a lot and I definitely wanna try and be on that show. Number five is Why Did You Kill Me? I am probably gonna watch that even though I don't love watching crime documentaries alone now that I live alone, but it it starts off, you know, they show like the little preview and they talked about MySpace and I was like, okay, done, I'm in. Number four is Thunder Force. Number three, Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me. Number two, The Baker in the Beauty. And then number one is Synchronic. For iTunes, remember last night the CMA Awards were on? So a lot of country, a lot of country in the top 10 on iTunes this morning. In this morning meaning Monday, April 19th. At number 10, What's Your Country Song by Thomas Rhett. Number nine is Peaches by Bieber. Number eight is Wine, Beer, Whiskey by Little Big Town. Number seven is Forever After All by Luke Combs. Number six, Maggie's Song by Chris Stapleton. Number five, Chasing After You by Ryan Hurd and Marin Morris. And I always forget that those two are a couple. I always forget that they're married, but they are a very cute couple and it's a very good song. Number four is Leave the Door Open, Bruno Mars, Anderson .Paak, and Silk Sonic. Number three is Astronaut in the Ocean by Masked Wolf. Number two, The Good One by Gabby Barrett. And then number one is Drunk by L. King. So one thing that you may notice if you ever look at the iTunes charts, right now on Twitter, there's like a little underground movement trying to get Backstreet Boys' Millennium album to the top 10 before their anniversary of the album, which is in May. I think it's May 18th. I could be wrong. But I looked today and it's at like 156 on the charts, the album is. So... I love it. I love that Backstreet Boys are still getting love after all these years. Millennium a great album. Black and Blue is my favorite Backstreet Boy album, but Millennium is iconic in every way. And I did talk about that on the Dunzo podcast. So if you don't listen to the Dunzo podcast, I highly, highly recommend it. Troy's great. We did an episode together on the Millennium album and it was a bunch of fun. So just want to throw that out there if you're interested. Now for my top 10 this week, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was like, what kind of music should I do? Should I do a movie? Should I do like actors I like? And somebody said fictional characters that you fell in love with. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm down for that. And these aren't ones that I just love in general, right? I love Christina Yang. I would not want to be with Christina Yang. Just want to like tell you the difference. <laughs> I love Alexis Rose. I would not want to date Alexis Rose. Okay, now you get where I'm coming from? Okay, so number 10 is Matt Saracen from Friday Night Lights I liked him way more than Riggins I know that is a very controversial opinion But Riggins was like way down on my list compared to everybody I would date like Tyra Colette before I would date um, Riggins And it's kind of funny Spoiler alert, skip ahead a few seconds if you don't want it to be spoiled I actually loved that those two ended up together I know a lot of people were mad about it But him and Lila never made sense to me Um, Riggins and Lila. Number nine, Sean Hunter. Number eight, Alex Karev from Grey's Anatomy. I loved him for a long time. And then he just became a little bit too much, like too mopey for me. I mean, the show has been on for a hundred seasons at this point. But I would say seasons like one through seven. I liked him very much. Number seven, Nate Archibald. I mean, he's such a himbo. You gotta love it. And if you don't know what a himbo is, it's a handsome, dumb boy. (laughs) But I always love Nate. Number six, Rachel Gatina. You guys know how much I love her. And I did throw in two movie characters because I didn't know if they wanted all TV characters or what. But number five is Reeves from the movie Ten Year. And that's about a 10-year reunion. It's really, really good. It has a solid cast in it. But Oscar Isaac plays him. And I just love, love everything about his character in that movie. Number four is Chloe from Pitch Perfect. You guys know I love Britney Snow. You guys know how I feel about Britney Snow. And I actually have her on the list of like my dream guest podcast. And I'll be like, please don't listen. I don't want you to know that I have like a huge crush on you. Let's not make it weird. Number two, oh, sorry, number three is Caroline Forbes from Vampire Diaries. I feel like nobody talks about her enough and I loved her character. I loved her character growth. Candace Ackala can do no wrong in my opinion. Number two, you guys should already know this, Jake Jigelski. Maybe you thought he was gonna be number one, but he's number two. Jake Jigelski goes above and beyond any of the guys on One Tree Hill. I was gonna put down Nathan Scott and then I was like, I don't know if I really loved his character. I think I just thought he was super hot. And then number one is the first fictional character that I ever really had feelings for. I can remember being like, I know, I know this person isn't this actual character. But it's very confusing for my twelve year old self and I don't know how to I don't know how to handle this. Mom, can you please help? But number one is Ryan Atwood. Ryan Atwood was the first fictional character for that I ever fell in love with, that I ever had feelings for. And it makes sense because I actually you know, when you're younger you don't know kind of who you can have crushes on. I had a crush on Balto, the um, husky wolf dog from of course the movie Balto, and I was like, I guess they have, like, really similar storylines. Wrong side of the tracks, not great parents, the town doesn't like them, and then, like, the pretty, (laughs) I'm gonna stop, (laughs) and then the, you know, the pretty one likes him, and you kind of fall into it, and, like, Seth could be, like, the goose who is friends with Balto, I don't know, (laughs) but yes, that is my uh, top 10 fictional characters, and maybe maybe we will see Millennium again in the top 10 on iTunes. I would kind of love that. Actually, know who I forgot on my top 10 list of characters I love? I may remove Alex Karev and put Sutton Brady from the bold type. She is a also a queen that we don't give enough credit to. Actually, that show doesn't get enough credit in general, and it is coming back. I suggest if you have Hulu, definitely give The Bold Type a watch. I know a lot of people in other countries. I don't think Hulu is actually available in other countries, but I'm sure there's somehow you can watch The Bold Type. I just don't have the answers for you. I'm sorry. But everyone should give the bold type a try. Give it three episodes. Because that's what I do for most shows. I give it three episodes. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. And yeah, I just had to throw the bold type out there. Had to plug them in. I fucking love the bold type. So if you are not caught up on the challenge or Floribama Shore, I suggest you skip this. I will be talking about the Teen Mom Reunion. But of course, has not happened yet. It'll be next week that I talk about that. But I will say... The challenge has finally stepped it up. I feel like the last few episodes have been pretty boring, in my opinion. But this episode was really, really good. So like I said, this is going to be spoiler alerts. So just a heads up, if you're not caught up, you will be spoiled. (laughs) It will be spoiled. I'm not going to tell you who wins, but I'm just going to talk about the episode and kind of this, not the season in general. Um, I've kind of talked about that every week. But I have to say, go Amber B., Amber B is fucking killing it in this um, final The first half of the final I am like so proud of her I didn't know she had it in her And she absolutely is proving people wrong I love it And I love that she is making Fessy upset Can I talk about how last season I loved Fessy And this season I hate Fessy And he's always out there He's like, you know, I'm the best competitor I'm the best this, I'm the best that But I was pretty upset of his performance. Now, this specific episode, I will say, Casey fell, his partner fell, and what's kinda not funny, like it's not funny Casey got hurt, I don't like that. I don't really have any opinions on Casey. I never watched Big Brother, so I can't say how they were on those shows, but Casey has a lot of heart, I will say that. I feel like Casey has a lot of heart when it comes to the challenge, and she fell, hurt her knee, and Fessy is mad at her immediately, right? He's already upset, that she fell, hurt herself. And again, it does suck. That fucks up your game, I get it. So she gets all wrapped up and they start going to the eating station where there is a lot of people getting sick because they have to eat all this stuff. They had to drink like a a quart of blood or something disgusting like that. But Fessy gets to the table and Fessy is a picky eater. He has said he's a picky eater. And he looks at Casey who's starting to stuff her mouth because even though... She's hurt, she wants to win. She really wants to continue to go, but she's just kind of, she's eating as much as she can. And he's looking at Casey, he goes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much we eat, you're hurt. We're not gonna finish. And that really like hurt hurt my feelings for Casey because she is still giving it her all, even though she's clearly hurt, even though it's hard for her to walk. And Fessy is just using this as a way to get out of the eating competition. And in my opinion, if he was a true challenger, if he was a true competitor, he would still go as hard as he could. Now, I understand not everyone's going to agree with me, but I just feel like he talks all this talk, he talks all this shit, and then when push comes to shove, he's just going to blame his partner anyway. Yes, Casey's hurt. Yes, that does throw a wrench in his game. But again, he could also eat a bunch of food and like pick her up and run with her if he wanted to, at least for a little bit to give her knee a break. Also, one of my favorite parts of the whole episode is when Amber won one of the missions, and she got to choose if she wanted to steal a partner or stay with C.T., and she just kind of looked around, she's like, you're in it with me, and he's like, yeah, I'm in it with you, and Fessy was expecting her to pick him, but nope, he dropped her, and she did not go back to him, she stuck with C.T., And, um and yeah, so that's kind of what's going on in the episode. I am rooting for Corey and Cam. Cam has grown on me a lot. I know a lot of people don't like her because they think she's loud or cocky or whatever. I think Cam is really good at the challenge, and I really do enjoy watching her. Leroy and Nani, I really hope that they win. I don't know. I mean, I really, really hope that they can somehow finish it, but I don't have high hopes for them. I know it's Leroy's last season. Um, Nani's been doing this a long time, but she's finally in a final. So maybe if she doesn't win, I'm pretty sure she's going to be on next season. I don't, spoiler, I'm sorry. I should have said spoiler alert, but that's the only cast member I will confirm until we know a little bit further down the road. Then I'll definitely give like spoiler alert because I know not everybody wants to know the cast of the next season, but I am rooting for them. Amber, Amber, really surprised me so I hope her and CT can can pull out a win but I don't know I don't know I mean I don't know what's gonna happen because one team there are four teams right now one of the teams will not make it to the next round so I'm not sure who that team's gonna be I'm gonna guess it's Fessy and Casey just because he's being a little bitch but yeah I'm not sure (laughs) Sorry. As far as Floribama Shore goes, I have to say, I got my dad watching it when I was home and he really dislikes Gus as well. I think Gus is an unlikable person and it's really hard for me to like really enjoy the show because he is so terrible. I don't know how else to put it. He's in like a dick measuring contest with nobody but himself and he hates Jeremiah. I personally don't mind Jeremiah. I think Jeremiah has grown a lot as the seasons have gone on And yeah, I mean, I'm still going to watch it. I think the next few episodes will probably be pretty good. But yeah, it's pretty much just like, I don't know what Gus's issue is. I hope Gus gets some help because I definitely think he needs it. My favorites are still Amy, Candace, and Jeremiah. I think Kodai's really funny. I think Kirk's actually grown on me a lot this season as well. But I do feel like Kirk and Kodai just kind of like pat Gus's back and just want to be like making fun of Jeremiah all the time with Gus. I don't know. Like they, I think you know, you can enable your friends to a certain point, And I think eventually you kind of need to stand up and be like, you're being a fucking idiot. And I think that's what they need to say to him, at least during this season. Um, I know next episode, they are traveling to a different area, which will be interesting. And I think I kept saying interesting this whole, <laughs> this whole segment. So thank you. Take a shot every time. I just said interesting. But those are the two shows I watch pretty much religiously right now. Obviously Teen Mom as well. But the reunion hasn't happened, but I am ready to see Taylor and Larry kind of go at it. Because I do think Taylor has been an incredible influence on Bentley. And unfortunately, when you have someone who's an addict in your life, I'm talking about Ryan with Jen and Larry. I can't imagine it being your kid, to be honest. Like, having a mom as a who had an issue has an issue. Is really difficult, but I don't have children. All I can picture is my nieces. And if they were going through something like that, I know that there's no like book on how to act or how everybody acts when it comes to, to that. But anyway, I know Larry and Taylor have some words. And unfortunately, maybe not unfortunately, next season, Jen, Larry, Ryan, and Mackenzie will not be on Teen Mom OG. So this week we are going over season four, episode 10 of The Hills called Who to Choose. And of course, every week previously on The Hills. We're reminded that Darlene hates Spencer and thinks he's manipulative. Spencer has had enough of Heidi's family members, is what Lauren says. And then we find out that Audrina hung out with poor little Colin just to make Justin Bobby jealous, which I think we already knew But it is confirmed during the recap. Apparently it did not work. Justin Bobby was not jealous, if you remember. He's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, he's not here, so it doesn't matter. And now she was beginning to wonder if anyone could replace Justin. This episode is a very Audrina-heavy episode. I will say that. We start off the episode at the Lauren's and Audrina's house, and Audrina goes up to Lauren's bedroom to chat. And I remember in the first season or two, Lauren didn't want them to film in her bedroom, and now she's in there all the time, unless they're filming in Lowe's bedroom and just saying it's Lauren's. And just a quick side note, I think my favorite color on Lauren is royal blue. I think she looks incredible in royal blue. But Audrina gets on Lauren's bed, she lays down, gets comfortable, she's like, remember Corey, the Australian? I hung out with him all weekend. And Audrina says it was so much fun. She really liked him and Lauren's glad because he's a really good guy. Now we all know this is the Corey that Audrina was married to. They had a really nasty divorce. But what I'm talking about... Is in this episode only I don't want to talk about like what happened now Maybe I'll go into it in a different episode But when I'm saying how he acts I just mean in this episode Not after everything that has happened Okay I just wanted to you know clarify that But Audrina tells them that they have Another date and she hasn't told Justin Bobby about it yet He gets like mad at me for not calling him back But he has like no right to be mad at me Which is true because again He did not want to date her He did not want to become official He just wanted her all to himself without a title. What do we call that? What do we call that kind of person? We call that kind of person a fuckboy, is what we call that kind of person. But Lauren actually surprised me with this. She's like, I guess I've been there, like, I've led guys on, and then once they get a girlfriend, I'm kind of like, wait, 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 what about me? What about me? And I cannot picture Lauren Conrad being a playa, playa, but clearly I am wrong. Because she does feel that she has done that to boys. Because when she was like, well that happened to me, I was like, oh yeah, like a guy wouldn't put a label on it. And then she's like, no, I've done what Justin did. I was like, wait, 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 what? The next scene, we are at Karma Coffee and Steph meets up with Spencer. We actually find out that he called her, he reached out to her, he wanted to see her. And it has been a few episodes since we have last seen Steph, because remember she went on a fake date with Doug and we need to think that she is no longer friends with Lauren, or at least not in this moment. And Spencer says, I don't know who I dislike more, Heidi's sister or Heidi's mother. And he tells Steph that Darlene called him manipulative and controlling. And I'm like, settle down, stalker mom. Holly's a mooch of the century too. So Spencer is really upset, but remember, Spencer and Heidi have no other friends, and their only people they can vent to are their siblings. And he called her stalker mom because he said Darlene is upset that she's not in control of Heidi's life at the moment. He goes on to say that she's always there, and that's why he's at the coffee shop. He's like, she's always on the couch. She's always in my office. What's your office? Is your office the couch? I'm confused. But he's really upset about it. And then he says, I couldn't imagine disliking a sister more Then he stops and goes, which should make you feel good. (laughs) And Steph is funny. I know Steph, we don't like her now. She goes, that's a demented compliment, but thank you. And Spencer then mentions that LC letter. He's like, Holly made her write an apology letter to LC and I hate LC and that's the only secret we've ever kept. Because Stephanie asks, she goes, well, what was in the letter? I don't know. I don't know what was in the letter, Stephanie. It's the only secret we've ever kept from one another, and Holly made her write it. He then says, Holly's really throwing some wrenches in this machine. And Stephanie says, Spencer, you can't just start a war with someone's family. No, Stephanie, they started the war when they bombed me like Pearl Harbor. Okay, shit, what the fuck? Steph then tells Spencer that Heidi needs to be the one to tell her to move out, not him. Because she's like, he's like, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna tell Holly she needs to get her shit and go. Not the exact words, but that's what he wanted to say. And... Stephanie says the truth. She's like, it has to come from Heidi. It can't come from you. Because Holly knows better than to listen to you. And he just kind of like looks at her and stares and does this crazy psycho stare. But you know, there is a moment where in this episode a little bit later, I'm like, maybe Spencer does have a point. And once we get to that, I will talk about it. But just to set you up for a little bit further in the episode, I actually, I'm actually on team Spencer for a little bit. The next scene, we're at People's Revolution and Whitney says she is ready for the weekend. And Lauren's like, yeah, we're gonna have a house in Malibu. You should come. And Whitney's like, of course, I'll be there. Who's going to be there? Audrina and Corey will be there. And then she's like, do you remember Corey? You met him last year at the Halloween party. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. You like him better than Justin. And Lauren does admit to liking him more than Justin. And she also goes, will you be my date? to Whitney, and Whitney says, absolutely. Now, during this moment, I'm kind of like, okay, they're definitely gearing up to make Whitney more of a main character, because even though she was in the intro, even though she was in all that stuff, I never felt like Whitney was a true main character, but now it's becoming clear that they're gearing up to give her the city spinoff, and they need to have kind of the audience to do that, in my opinion. Of course, I'm sure when Whitney and her husband do a recap, there'll be a different story But I am a few episodes, a lot of episodes ahead of them. But yeah, I do think that this was kind of setting us up to like Whitney more, realize Whitney has more of a personality than just asking Lauren what she did for the weekend. And Lauren then starts going on about Corey. She's like, is so grateful for the simplest things like he doesn't ignore my calls. And I'm like, those are normal things. People shouldn't ignore your calls. And Whitney, of course, chimes in with some solid advice. She just needs someone who can appreciate her. That's what she needs, not what she wants. Because, of course, she's used to being in a shitty-ass relationship with Justin Bobby, who just leaves her in Vegas. But, again, I think that's kind of, like, a fine line to walk, because maybe she just doesn't know any better. So maybe it's not that she doesn't want it, she's just not sure how to, like, accept that. Because what is it from the Perks of Being a Wallflower? We accept the love we think we deserve, and maybe Audrina doesn't think very highly of herself. Who knows? Hopefully she has grown out of that though, but unfortunately I don't think so because she's going to be dating fucking Sean Stewart for fake on the hills, and he's a skis ball. Now we have some nice emo music as we enter in Audrina and Corey date, and Corey looks fine. Corey's super hot. He has a hot Australian accent. I have said that many times on the podcast. I love a good Australian accent, but he's also wearing like a backwards trucker hat, and I believe it's Hannah Burner who tweeted, is he hot or is he just wearing his hat backwards? I have to think of that a lot, because a lot of times, you know, a guy will take his hat off, and I'm like, oh, wait, 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 put it back on. Anyway, Corey talks about when he's going back to Australia. He said he's going around Christmas time to spend time with the family, and tells Audrina that she needs to go there sometime. And she's like, I want to. I want to go to Australia with you. So he ends up asking her, have you been single for a while? What's going on with you? Yeah, I've been single. Are you hanging out with any other guys? Corey asks. Could you imagine if I tried to do that in Australian accent? That would be painful. But she just goes, Justin, but that's not really... And it's like, dot, dot, dot. She trails off. She she doesn't finish that. What's up with you two? He wants to know. He goes, just friends that, again, gets really quiet. And I was almost ready for her to be like, just friends that fuck. I don't know. <laughs> but she says they're just friends. And Corey goes, that's cool. And then Corey says that he's single for the first time after five years. He's in a relationship for five years. He's been single for a year, but he's just been stress free. He's just cruising. He then gets invited to the Malibu party and he's like, yeah, I'll go. I'll go. He looks nervous. I don't know if maybe he wasn't into like the whole reality TV idea, but he was into Audrina. And I'm pretty sure Audrina actually did confirm that. At some point, he did not like being on reality TV, but he liked Audrina and knew it kind of came with the package. And as they're walking out, Audrina just goes, it's the perfect night to go swimming. And in my head, I was like, oh, they must I mean, she has a pool at the lawn and Audrina abo- abode. Why don't they just go there? Well, the next scene, we find out that they did go there because you see Audrina and Corey walking out of the guest house together. And they walk into the kitchen. So it is nice that Audrina is feeling more comfortable in her space because for a while, we know that she did not feel comfortable in that house. So they go into the kitchen together and they get some cereal. And what do they pour? They pour some Special K. And the first thing that popped into my head was the Special K fad diet. Do you guys remember the Special K diet where it was like you ate Special K three times a day or ate like a Special K breakfast bar or something and it was so bad for you? But a lot of people did that in the 2000s. And I don't know what year it was, probably 2008, 2009 when people were doing it. And I know a lot of my family was on the Special K diet, but seeing that like triggered me and threw me back into probably, the moment where I thought dieting was gonna like change my life. And in some ways it has, like I have been able to lose weight, but like healthier ways than eating Special K three times a day. Anyway, Lauren walks in the kitchen and greets everyone with a big smile. She's very, very happy that she sees Corey in the kitchen. And Lauren says that she is carpooling to Malibu with Whitney. Then out of like left field... Audrina starts talking about Cabo and she looks at Corey and she's like, Do you want to come to Cabo with us? And Lauren just kind of like looks at her like, Wait, what? That's a really big step. And Corey seems nervous, but he's like, Yeah, I've never been. We should go. I'll go. Okay, Corey, we see you. We see you're down for it. But Audrina says, We went to Cabo for a week and needed like two weeks to recover. And let's be clear, if I go to Cabo with anybody, I want it to be with a Laguna Beach castmate. Those people know Cabo. I mean, Kristen still goes to Cabo all the time. It's still like her go-to when it comes to vacations, and if anyone knows Cabo, Lauren Conrad also knows Cabo, and she's like, yeah, it did take a while, we did have a lot of fun. Why didn't they film that and show it and give that to us? MTV, where the fuck is that footage? Give me that footage right now. Anyway, Lauren then, she's like, all right, I'll catch up with you guys later, and she walks out, and we like Corey a lot more than Justin because he actually speaks and he doesn't just speak in grunts towards people. The next scene, we are at the Spidey apartment and Heidi is getting ready for brunch. She's like, are you almost ready for brunch? She asks Spencer and he says, yeah, but we're not bringing your sister to another meal. And Heidi gets mad. She's like, what do you want me to say? Do you want me to not invite her? And he ends up saying, she's not gonna get another day free here. She's not gonna eat our food again. She's not gonna get another meal for free. I want you to tell her to move out. And you know what? Spencer may have a point here. I think even if you are staying with family, you should pitch in for rent if you have to. I mean, obviously if you can't, that's understandable, but it seems like Holly's been there for a while now. And if she is not pitching in for rent, no bills, no groceries, none of that. Yeah, I would be pretty mad too. So I do understand Spencer's annoyance there. Do I think Spencer knows how to speak his frustration correctly? absolutely not. But he says, I want you to tell her to move out. And Spencer says she has to make a decision. And Heidi was just like, well, you were at Stephanie's for two months. And he's like, that's not the point. That's not the same. Of course, it's not the same. He goes, I can't live with your sister anymore. So it's either her or me. And that is how the scene ends between the two of them. Again, I think Spencer does have a point but I do not think he is a great communicator. Let's put it that way. Now we are at the house in Malibu and I thought it was going to be Brody Jenner's house. It is not Brody Jenner's house. We are not at the Prince of Malibu's home. We are just at a random house party, it seems. And Lauren and Whitney, they're walking around. They said they don't know anybody. Also, I just have to say it. Lauren is wearing a fedora. I hope fedoras never come back. If there's one thing to leave in the 2000s, I think it's a fedora. (laughs) But Lauren and Whitney take a seat by the pool. And then we see Audrina and Corey in the pool. They're cuddling. They seem to be having a good time. Very cute. I like them as a couple in this in this series before we know, like, all the truths of everything. So I do like them as a couple. And they're just kind of looking over at them. And Whitney's like, so is Justin out of the picture now? Justin's there until she finds someone better, is what Lauren says. So Lauren ends up filling Whitney in on the kitchen moment, and she's like, it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. I really, really like him. And then the little girl's moment is ruined because Frankie and Doug show up. And Frankie and Doug are very odd. Like, the way they're talking and stuff, I'm like, are you guys maybe on something? Allegedly, are you guys, like, maybe rolling on something? I don't know. Just, like, I don't know if it's just how Frankie and Doug speak, to be totally honest. But they just seem like very, you know, it just seems like some, you know, you know what I'm saying. Looks like allegedly they're on something. So Frankie ends up telling Lauren that Justin Bobby called. And Lauren's like, tell him not to come. What's wrong with you? You understand he's our boy, right? Like we hang out with him every day. You want him to come here while is with a guy that she really likes? And immediately, Whitney hates these people. (laughs) Whitney's like that is unnecessary drama why would you do that that is unnecessary and Frankie calls Justin and tells him he's like hey man sorry I didn't get back to you the party's lame maybe you shouldn't come but it's not that lame I don't know do what you want and Lauren's like that was the worst fucking message you could ever leave anybody he's gonna show up here isn't he and she's really nervous because Audrina is trying to move on but Frankie's like nah he's our boy he's our boy boys, we're bros, bros over hoes, whatever the fuck guys say. (laughs) But we then find out that Justin Bobby is flying to Cabo with them because Frankie's like, well, is this dude going to Cabo? And Doug's like, well, Justin Bobby's flying with us in my plane because Doug is rich as fuck, don't forget. And Doug is still rich as fuck because he owns nursing homes. But Whitney ends up sticking up for Audrina and she's like, Audrina gets to pick who she wants to come. And then Frankie's like, no, Justin Bobby's coming. And I do have to say, I think this is the most airtime Frankie has gotten, including the reboot. Frankie did not get a lot of love on The Hills. He did not get a lot of love on The Reboot. Maybe this season will be a little bit different, but I don't know. It's definitely the most we have seen Frankie Delgado talk in all four seasons he has been on. Or I guess three seasons he's been on. So Doug and Frankie, they're like, we're going to get some answers. And they walk over to Audrina, and Doug just goes, who are you taking to Cabo? What is her response? I'm just going to go by myself. And Frankie says, you're putting us in a weird position. And Audrina, I have to stick up for Audrina here because she goes, I told him to stop wasting my time. If he doesn't want to date me, then stop playing with my head. This has been happening for four years now. I found someone who actually is nice to me and treats me good. Um, just so you know, Brody invited him to Cabo is what Frankie says to that. Because God forbid they acknowledge her feelings about this. Instead, they're just like, oh, well, Justin's coming because Brody invited him. What a dick thing to do, Okay. I'm upset about this scene. This scene really, really bothered me because I feel like they're just making Audrina feel like shit because she's happy with someone who's not Justin Bobby. Okay, so that is how we end the Malibu pool scene. It's Audrina finding out that Justin is in fact going to Cabo and she's not super happy about it. But now we're at a hike with Lauren and Audrina at Runyon Canyon, and they have a shot at the beginning of the scene where it's, like, their backs, and then if you look a little bit ahead of them, there is a security guard for sure. It's not confirmed, you don't see him again, but I am, like, 98% sure that it is a security guard, because if you think about it, at this point in the hills, like, they were famous. These people were on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, like, People knew who Lauren Conrad was. People knew who Adrena and Whitney, and of course everyone knew Spidey because they did so many paparazzi shots. But they did need to kind of clear areas and have bodyguards, and it's crazy to think of that, and I feel like, um, like Vanderpump Rules. It finally has accepted that they need to stop pretending to work at Sir. But with the Hills, I wish they kind of did that more to show what the media did to them mentally, if that makes sense. I feel like I just rambled a lot, but hopefully you caught up with what I was trying to say. But anyway, they're walking and Audrina says she thinks Justin knows about Corey and Lauren agrees with her. And she goes, you're juggling men. Who to choose? And then Lauren reminds Audrina that things with Corey are still very new. And I'm like, I don't know, that's bad advice, Lauren. It feels like now you're trying to push her into JB's sweaty arms. And yeah, again, it's just a really quick scene and the girls are just trying to figure out like what Audrina should do, basically. But the scene's like a minute, maybe a minute and a half long. Now, as we are getting closer to the end of the episode, we are at the Spidey apartment and Holly and Heidi Are talking on the balcony They're taking in the views And Heidi's like Isn't this view absolutely beautiful And Holly's like Yeah I love it here And she's like Well get ready Because Heidi tells her That it's time for her to move out She's like You've been here for a long time And Spencer said You're on on the couch a lot I don't even know If you're looking for jobs I am looking for jobs Is what Holly says She's trying to get a job but Heidi has to choose her man here. And Heidi says she can't help Holly without sacrificing her relationship. I don't understand why it, it has to be one or the other, Holly says. Well, Spencer said either he's moving or you're moving, so. And Holly's upset. Holly's blindsided by this. Holly's given Heidi some fucking death glares if I've ever seen them. But she kind of has to accept her fate that it is time for her to move out. And I, like I said, these older seasons, I don't totally remember. So I don't know what happens with Holly other than I know (laughs) the wedding episode. Didn't know we were dining with the King and Queen of England. One of the greatest lines of all of Hill's history. Now, as we wrap this episode up, I have been waiting for this scene. This scene, I'll talk about it more near the end, this scene has lived in my mind rent-free since this episode aired. And this scene is only about a minute and a half, two minutes long, if that, maybe a little bit longer. But this scene, get ready. So we're at the Lauren's and Audrina's house, and who do we see? We see Justin, Bobby, and Audrina walking out of the guest house together, okay? They're sharing wine. None of the girls are home. Justin's like, who else is home? No, it's just us. And he pours her a heavy pour of wine. And Audrina asks Justin if he's going to go in the pool with her. And of course, he says no, because he's too cool for the pool. You know, he's wearing jeans, a leather jacket, looking like a biker dude. And then... She's like, well, I'm going to go in. So Audrina strips down to her bikini, jumps in the pool. Actually, she doesn't jump in. Justin pushes her in the pool. And she's like, come in, come in. What do I have to do to make you join me? He goes, if you take your top off and went over there, I'd probably have to come for you. And she's like, you'll come in the pool if I do that? And he said, yeah. So Audrina does just that. And Justin strips down naked. I don't think I ever realized he was completely naked in this scene until this episode where I kind of noticed that they blurred out his junk. And she like wraps her arms around him, starts kissing him. And I can vividly remember this scene and being like, wow, this is sexual. Are they having sex right now? Is the Hills? Am I watching people have sex now? I guess I was a little more naive at 16, 17, whenever this aired. I guess I was was 17 when this aired. And maybe I should have realized that they weren't having sex, especially because I watched The Real World and all of that. But I really thought that The Hills was about to turn into The Real World and we were going to see people having sex in the pool. Now they're kissing and stuff and Justin's like, you know, I'm going to be bad and when we go to Cabo, I'm going to I'm going to use my hall pass and be bad and she's like, "You're such an asshole. I don't trust you." And he swims away all smiling. And that is the episode. <laughs> that is how it ends. With these two with so much sexual tension. You also know that's the first time Justin Bobby has like kind of bathed in a while. But yeah, that that scene has lived rent-free in my mind for such a long time. And I don't I thought it was a lot sexier than it actually was like I haven't revisited this episode in a while but yeah that scene really kind of like woke something up in me and I was kind of like wait 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 Is are people having sex on the hills right now because obviously you knew people were having sex you just didn't see people having sex and I was just like oh my god it's gonna happen it's gonna happen. I thought it did happen, (laughs) so re-watching it, I now know that it did not happen, but he was definitely naked, she was definitely topless, and that is how the episode ends, so we're going to assume that she chose the man, the myth, the legend, Justin Bobby, over Corey. Now, I feel like just about every week, I have to talk about Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker. Now, this past week was Kourtney Kardashian's birthday. I keep saying Kardashian, huh, not kardashian you know who I'm talking about. It was her birthday, and everybody did tributes. And Travis posted quite the tribute to her. He posted a picture of her ass. He posted a picture of them together. And then at the very end, he posted a video. And I thought for a second, they were pulling a Kim and Ray J on us. No, there was a picture of her sucking his thumb, which we did see happening at the UFC fight in Las Vegas as well. But when I tell you, I went, oh! <gasps> When I saw the video, I was like, oh my God, somebody leaked their sex tape. I really thought somebody leaked Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker's sex tape. I I let out such a gasp. I clutched my pearls like a little old woman would. Granted, it was his thumb. Okay, it's his thumb. We can we can accept that. Like, if you're not into that, that's that's your thing. But if they are into it, that's their thing. I really, really thought that there was a sex tape that was leaked. Holy shit, my heart skipped a beat. But don't worry, no sex tape leaked. It was just a video of her sucking on his thumb. And you know Scott Disick is somewhere pouting in the corner while he hangs out with his teenage girlfriend. But yeah, I wanted to address that immediately. The other thing I want to address, I am worried about Miss Demi Lovato. I am very worried for Demi. I think Demi is starting to spiral. Now, if you did not see it this past weekend, she got in a fight with a frozen yogurt place in California Because she thought they were very triggering because they had sugar-free ice cream Now, I understand that Demi has dealt with a eating disorder for her whole life And she felt they were promoting diet culture Now, okay, I guess you could see that But I think it's very different if you don't post it on social media, right? Like, there have been places I don't like and I just don't go there anymore. I've had bad experiences at restaurants, so I don't go. It's it's literally that simple, but no. Demi took to Instagram, she tagged them, and the yogurt company was like, we also have like vegan, we have keto, we have stuff to kind of like help everybody. And Demi was like, well, you're promoting diet culture. And today, and she didn't, she like doubled down on it, right? Like they, people were kind of like, Demi, Demi, just apologize, like, yeah, you're kind of like going a little overboard about this. She was like, no, I'm a woman speaking up for what I believe. And that's why people want to shut me up. And these are the moments where I'm like, Demi, I can't stick up for you. Like you are trying to, you're really bashing this small company basically. Okay. Not basically, she was. And all of her little levotics, levotics, lav- her, whatever, her fan base were going as crazy as she was. And I don't know, it was really scary. And then like she put out an apology that was not an apology, Um, she basically said like, well, I still have all these feelings, but whatever. You know, they are promoting diet culture, but that's just how I feel. So I'm speaking my feelings and I'm like, that's not an apology, Demi. You should be like, sorry, I was ignorant about the fact that they also have things outside of just sugar free. And the cookie did say eat with less guilt or something like that. Okay, the packaging, not cool. You could say that again, but... To like completely try and dismantle this yogurt shop for what? Be I understand it triggered you. I get that. I get it was probably really hard to see that. And you were kind of thrown back into this world where you wanted to watch what you were eating and all this stuff. But again, I feel like that is something you talk to maybe your therapist about instead of putting it on social media and tagging the company and blasting them. It's it's so hard because obviously small businesses are going through enough as is for cuz of covid. And again, to me, I'm always just like why can't you just leave quietly? If, if I don't like a restaurant, I don't go there. Maybe I'll tell my friends not to go there. But if they go there, I'm not going to be mad at them. Do you know what I mean? I just, I think Demi's starting to spiral. I also feel like, I don't know if I talked about this last week. I may have. I feel like she has a lot of yes people in her life, which is really dangerous. I think for a long time, Justin Bieber had that. And that was Justin Bieber's issues. Um, But hopefully Demi can kind of like... I hate to say this, but like calm down a little bit because I'm, I'm very, like I said, watching her documentary, it made me more nervous for her than before. And seeing this made me even more nervous because she's so, she's getting so angry. And in my opinion, it's just like, dude, like you're always upset. You're always angry. And I think things will always trigger people or trigger you if you see something that triggers you. Just do your best to like work through it and maybe not bash them where you have like 3.2, she has probably has three more than 3.2 million followers. And then doubling down and then coming up with an apology that wasn't an apology. I don't know. Demi, Demi, Demi. I need Demi to just, I hope that Demi finds her happiness. And I've said that multiple times. I really hope Demi can find that happiness because fuck, she is starting to spiral and I'm very nervous for Demi. Over the weekend, there was also the Prince Philip funeral. Um, It was something about like old churches I think is so beautiful. Obviously it was a very sad reason, but he did live a full life, he was 99. And Harry and William did walk next to one another and did share some words at the end. He did sit in a different, or Harry did sit in a different section of the church because he's no longer considered a royal. But at the end he did speak to William and Kate, which I was surprised about, but happy to see that. And there was a celebrity blind. Are you guys ready for celebrity blinds to be back? So one thing about NT lawyer, ENTY, he hates Meghan Markle. I know a lot of people dislike her, um, but he really dislikes her and he always has because allegedly Meghan and Harry allegedly met because Meghan was yachting. And if you're newer here, I suggest you Google what yachting is. Basically, if you see younger celebrities, actresses, um, maybe not even younger, just actresses in the, you know, um, Moroccan area and off the coast of France, and they're probably yachting. Nina Dobrev is allegedly one of the biggest ones. Um, Miranda Kerr was allegedly one. There are a lot of allegedly's, and allegedly that's how Meghan and Harry met. I don't know how true that is, but he did say that if you look on Harry, Harry's IMDb, you will see that he added the funeral as like a credit on TV. Just like Megan did for their wedding. And I looked on his IMDb and yes, he, there was an added credit. But then there was also a bunch of other credits too. So I was kind of like, I mean, there's a bunch of interviews that he's done that he's credited for doing. So I don't know, but I also know people manage their own IMDb pages so, I, I don't know, I, I kind of, that made me, made me a little interested, I can't lie. I also promise the Ryan and Reese deep dive is coming. I want to give it kind of its own moment, so I do have, obviously, a guest today. On this episode, I have a guest next week, Lo Bosworth will be on next week. The following week, I'm going to be trying to get Troy from the Denzo podcast, who I mentioned earlier, to come on and talk about that as well. I don't know if he has the time, but if not... I will gladly do it by myself. I just know he knows a lot about Celebrity Blinds. And again, I will start pulling more blinds into the episodes. I want to do that again. Um, I think Enti Lawyer, Blind Gossip, those kind of websites, I do like them still. I read up on them. And yeah, I will be bringing them more into the episode. If you are a newer listener, a Celebrity Blind is kind of like Dumois except these people who are posting are more connected, quote unquote, connected to the entertainment world rather than just, you know, being spotted here and there type of type of deal. And now we have some unqualified advice time. Um so the biggest question I got was basically how do you know when to leave your job? When do you do it? All of that. So as a lot of you know, I recently did leave my job of over 3 years. I could not take it anymore. It became really toxic. I think that they were getting ready to push me out anyway. And I was kinda like, oh, I'm just gonna go. Um, but no, for my mental health, I had to leave. I was starting to get really intrusive thoughts. I was getting to the point where I would sit in my car and wanna cry before I went in. I'd cry when I leave. And I'm not gonna like say too much more cause I don't wanna get a cease and desist. So I'm just gonna talk about, you know, I think that if you are dealing with those things, It is time to look elsewhere I do not have a job right now It's very frustrating that I have no income But for my mental health I think it has already done wonders I haven't had a job This is week three of not having a job It's weird because I like to work And I want a job I'm just, I keep saying job But you know what I mean Like I would like to have a job It just, working there was no longer working for me I felt like it was working against me I felt like I was doing everything wrong. I was doing this wrong, that wrong. I wasn't allowed to like talk to people anymore, talk to specific coworkers because of whatever was going on. And unfortunately the way I left was not the way I wanted to leave. I wanted to do a correct two weeks notice. I wanted to be able to go and get my personal items. I still don't have my personal items from my desk. I, I want them, those are my things, but I still don't have that. I'm not sure when I'll be getting it, but for my mental health i had to just make that decision and i guess when you're we had uh skype we used skype to talk to one another and we used our personal skypes not business skype which i always kind of wondered about but when i would see my manager start typing my stomach started to sink and i knew once that started it was not going to change and i did get put on a something called a personal improvement plan And when I read it over, I did not agree with it. And I was told if I spoke about it, I'd be fired immediately. So in that moment, I realized I had to leave. In that moment, I felt threatened. I felt like I did not need to be told that. I didn't think that was like an appropriate thing to say. But that is why I left. Um, It it had been leading up for a while. I think I've been unhappy there for a really long time. And, you know, it's always what my side, their side, the truth, honestly, I'm that's my truth that I'm speaking is that their truth probably not and that's okay you can have different truths I don't I don't really care I know how I felt at the end of the day and if you are in a position where you can leave a job without a job lined up and if this job is causing you to cry at night to not be able to maybe not be able to sleep to not want to pull yourself out of bed if you're starting to have those intrusive thoughts I genuinely recommend leaving that position I really, really do. I think that even though I am stressed, again, not having income, not getting interviews that I thought I should get by now, I just, I have to accept that this is all a part of a process, and it might be hard. It might be a tough process for a little bit, but at the end of the day, I got out of a situation that could have really ended badly, and what I mean by that is, like, um, trigger warning. What I mean by that trigger warning, I'm putting a trigger warning out there, I was nervous I was going to hurt myself. Because I just, I couldn't figure a way out other than quitting. And luckily, I have a really great family, really great support system that supported me through this and supported me leaving that job. And I just want to say, I feel a lot better now. I know I did say that trigger warning earlier, but I feel a hundred times better knowing I don't need to wake up and go there. Knowing I don't need to wake up and get little passive-aggressive statements thrown at me. Knowing I don't have to deal with all of that. So that is my advice. If you are feeling sick to your stomach, if you feel constantly bad about yourself, I couldn't even do the podcast because I felt like everything I did was terrible. It did not matter if it even had to do with work. I felt worthless and no one should feel that way ever. Um, so that's my advice. If, if you think it's time to leave a job, you're probably right. If you can handle not having a job for a few weeks or two months even, it's the right thing to do. And, you know, there were some really great coworkers too. I'm not going to say it was all bad. There were some people who I really loved there. And luckily last week, I actually got lunch with some coworkers. And yeah, I think it's just important to put yourself first. And you might feel a little selfish at first. You might might feel like you're being annoying. You're being a baby if you're complaining all the time. You're not. And also one thing I read because I was always like, oh, I'm being dramatic. Oh, maybe I am like saying all this for attention. I don't know, because eventually I feel like you start to gaslight yourself. And if you are feeling these thoughts and not telling people, you're not looking for attention. And that's really important to remember. So those are my thoughts when it comes to leaving a job and why I left my job. Unfortunately, I had to leave a lot of great people behind, but I do think in my future, that was the best thing I could have done. And the unknown is scary. The fact I'm putting all that out there, When I am looking for a job and, you know, this is on my resume and if someone listens to that and they're kind of like, eh, we're not going to hire her because of that, I just have to, I have to deal with it, unfortunately. Another thing somebody asked is, how do you get into social media? So I have been working in social media for about six, seven years now, and I started off at a startup company. I kind of lied on my resume, got in there and started to do work there. What I would suggest is embellishing things, but also taking courses. There are a lot of like LinkedIn learning courses that you can take, and you can learn a lot about social media and how it works, rather than just being like, yeah, I post on it. Like, you want, you want to have a little bit more of that, and I would suggest looking up social media strategist roles, because that is usually the entry level when it comes to social media or social media assistant. So look at those two roles and take some courses. Maybe you can embellish your resume a little bit and make it work. That is my suggestion. Somebody else said, what do I do if I hurt my friend's feelings? Just apologize. I don't know how your friend is. So actually, I know it's not that simple. But whenever I hurt someone's feelings, I make sure to apologize about it. I think it's important to own up when you do something that hurts somebody else. That's really, really important. I don't care who you are. whether Even if it's like a parent to a kid, I think it's really important to own up to mistakes. Be like, hey, I'm sorry this upset you. And if you just send them a text saying that, then even though it's kind of like going to the wind, I guess, you don't know if they're going to respond at least you sent it and you probably feel a little bit better. And then I have two more. There were a lot of really, really good ones. And next week I'll probably do this again. Actually, no, I won't because I'll have low on. And um, next week is just gonna be a interview. It's not gonna be a recap, just the interview. But somebody said they're going through a really bad heartbreak. Any advice for surviving the short term? Cry, feel those feelings, be upset. Like you're allowed to be upset. But don't let yourself get stuck in that. Um, My suggestion would be getting some ice cream, eating that, listening to your favorite songs, then watching your favorite movie, and surround yourself with people. Because when my friends go through breakups, when they're upset, I'm not going to be annoyed with them. I'm not, not. Maybe that's just not who I am. But definitely, you know, let yourself be upset. There's nothing wrong with that. You're going fucking through it. You should be. You should feel upset. Sorry, that sounded really aggressive. But definitely let yourself be sad and let yourself be in the moment and just try and talk to your friends about it because they probably, number one, may have seen this coming, which is not super helpful, but they also know how to comfort you and accept that comfort. I know it can be like weird at times asking for help, but if my friend was to text me at, you know, at, I'm not going to say 2am because I'm asleep, I'm the worst and my phone's always on, do not disturb. But if my friend ever texted me and they were just like, hey, I'm really going through it, do you have a second? Yes, yes I do. I always have a second for you. I have minutes for you. So I would suggest reaching out to those who love you. And the last one I am going to answer, this person is a people pleaser and they're having trouble setting boundaries. Start small. I have been a people pleaser for a really long time. But I had to learn to set boundaries mostly because of my mom. And even though she has been sober for almost three months now, I'm so proud of her. I still have to set those boundaries with her. And she can't, she's not allowed to call me after 9 p.m. Because guess what? That's actually a trigger for me. So I think that if you start really small, I guess I don't know what the situation is. But saying no, especially say at work, say if at work you're getting all this work piled on you, saying no does not make you a bad employee. Saying no makes you human. And going out with friends, most friends will understand if you're like, hey, I'm going to take the weekend off. Nobody's going to be mad at you, I promise. So just remember a lot of the times when you think someone's mad at you, they're not and start really small. Start small. I don't, again, I don't know the situation, but say if you are at work and someone's giving you too much work, be like, hey, I can't handle this right now. And usually they're like, okay, I don't know. Unless you have a shitty boss, then they won't be like that, (laughs) I guess. But yeah, definitely try to start small. And you, I started with like friends. I couldn't go out every weekend. You know, I had to save money and nobody was mad at me. Everyone understood. And yeah, I don't know if that's super helpful, but I hope it I hope it is. And I hope that things get a little bit better. All right, guys, I am so excited. We have Brad Fischetti here from LFO. I've been a fan for a really long time. So the fact you agreed to come on means the world to me. Thank you so much.
1: You said really long. So that, that, that makes me feel old.
0: I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just
1: kidding. (laughs) kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love it. That's awesome. You know what? It's so cool that, you know, 20 years later, Um, I get to meet people who have been a fan for like 20 years, but thank you so much for for your kind words. And thank you for inviting me to be on your show.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Did you, when you recorded, you know, your first album with summer girls, did you ever expect it to kind of have this impact over the last 20 years?
1: I don't think I really, I will, I didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. If I would have understood the longevity of songs, I probably could have imagined that wow you know 20 years from now this song might still be a summer classic but I don't think that was in our minds we were so much living in the moment and um but wow you know looking back and you know hearing the song on the radio in the summertime and and people like you asking to do uh, interviews it's just a great it's really a great blessing and um I feel honored to to have the opportunity to nurture that that LFO legacy. Mm-hmm.
0: And I will say, I do think it's an iconic song. I love pop music. I grew up, you know, early 90s or late 90s, early 2000s. So that song, I still love it. I love Every Other Time, Girl on TV, West Side Story, all of them. So I just wanted to fan girl for a moment. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Those are the songs I love too. So
0: (laughs) now I know that you have something coming out called the LFO Story. It's going to be on April 30th. And the link is in your Instagram bio. Can you tell us a little bit more about
1: that? The LFO story is an experience where we tell the whole story of LFO from 1974, the year Rich was born till today. We play music of the time, music that influenced us, obviously a lot of our own music. But we also tell stories in between, uh, stories about certain songs, stories about you know, Rich's funeral story about Devin's last days. That's um, just a really personal experience. I was hoping to be able to play it live mm-hmm. and maybe one day will this, uh, you know, not that the COVID sort of easing up a bit. I look at this opportunity as a way to prove that it's worthy of playing live and then getting a chance to go out and play it live. So we've been working really hard preparing for it. We've got a great band, uh, six man band. We got several uh, guest appearances. We've got a, a vocal group that's doing some backup too called the Edge Effect. And um, yeah, we're just really excited for for the show on April 30th.
0: Well, I'm excited too, you guys. You can get the tickets on Brad's Instagram and LFO's Instagram, right?
1: Yeah, And you know the purpose of this show is is very simple. The purpose of everything I do in the LFO world today, including this interview is very simple to honor Rich, honor Devin, and to nurture the LFO legacy, that's Mm -hmm. it. I have absolutely no desire of doing this by myself. I I don't wanna be looked at as the surviving member, but here I am. And so my mission, one of my life's missions is to honor those boys. And uh, I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity. I take it seriously. And um, whether it's this interview, whether it's the live stream show, whether it's dates with the Pop 2000 tour, it's all to honor those boys.
0: And I think you're doing a great job. I will say that. Oh,
1: thank you. You're welcome.
0: Um, Talking about the Pop Two Thousands tour, I know usually it is O-Town, Ryan Cabrera, Aaron Carter, and you serve as a host, right? And you perform a bit?
1: Well, that's how it started. Okay. Um there was there was a few dates where uh, Lancerman Sink, who usually is the host, wasn't available. So they asked me to come out and uh and host it. And then during the Old Town show, we did an LFO medley where uh, they backed me up and we sang like about 13 minutes of LFO music. And while I tell you what, the first sound check, I just broke down, you know, crying. Mm-hmm. And um after every show, it's the same. <laughs> It's like almost like clockwork, you know? We, we play, I leave the stage, I cry. And I just, it just whats what it is. I can't help it. Um, so then those shows went well. So then they invited me to play some more dates, not as the host, but representing LFO.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, um, yeah, I just got sort of added to that tour. And then the COVID came. So in 2020, most of the dates were canceled. 2021, It looks like summertime we'll start playing some shows again mark mcgrath from sugar ray joins the tour so it's o-town ryan cabrera uh, me mark and then lance from nsync so um, it's a really fun time it's really cool to uh see everybody in one room and to see the reactions of the fans because you know it's like it reminds people of a simpler time most of us had a simpler life 20 years ago Mm -hmm. before kids, before marriages, before divorces, before work, before losing jobs, before whatever it might be, most of us, not everybody, but most of us had a simpler life 20 years ago. So it's nice to be able to bring people back to a simpler time.
0: Absolutely. What is your favorite song to play live?
1: Baby Be Mine. Okay. That's my favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite to play live. We don't play that on the Pop Two Thousand tour, um, so my, my favorite there we play a little bit of West Side Story, because uh, that that was really between Baby Be Mine and West Side Story those were our favorite songs to play, and so um, to this day, I just I just love Baby B Mine. It's just uh, it's my favorite LFO song.
0: So you LFO came out during the Backstreet Boys, you know, in sync, but you guys were different because you had three members and your music sounded different. What, I guess, what was your inspiration for all of that? Because you could have, you know, added two more members, kind of fit that quote unquote cookie cutter, boy band, type band, but you guys kind of did it your own way.
1: Well, yeah, because we started as a rap group. Oh, okay. So yeah, started as a rap group. And then we transitioned into adding some singing. And, you know, there were times where you know but I think labels are like what do we do with these guys you know what I mean um, and because we yeah, we weren't five guys we really didn't enjoy like doing like synchronized dancing we did it early on just because that's what we were told to do mm-hmm. <laughs> but as soon as we made any money we, we just stopped doing that and hired dancers um, I think when when uh when devin joined the group and and summer girls hit and the label realized like okay these guys can write their own music. Um, mm-hmm. These guys can produce their own music. These guys can do some things that we weren't expecting them to do. And so um, I think that was a great, it was great for us to be able to prove that we had the ability to, to write worthy songs, you know, hit songs, really, because "Summer girls grow Girl on TV, you know, those are, those are hit songs. Um, so, Back then, I'll be honest, we didn't really like being lumped in with the boy band because mm-hmm. back then, boy band had a negative connotation. Even though it wasn't true, it was like, oh, just five pretty boys with no talent. Reality is, I mean, those boy bands created uh, some extraordinarily talented people, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, you got Justin Timberlake and you got Nick Carter. You've got uh, Donnie Wahlberg, who's a very famous actor. I mean. Every single one of these guys was, was really special and really talented. And in LFO, you know, Rich, Rich Cronin was was literally one of the best rappers that ever lived. You may not get to hear that in the LFO songs, but if you gave him a, a mic and a beat, he could freestyle with anybody. I'm telling you, he would earn the respect of the greatest rappers, of, of the Biggies, of the Eminems. People would be like, wow, this kid can really rap. And Devin, you know his voice was like was like a generational voice it was just so beautiful so powerful um, and yeah these, these guys were amazing and so like I said we didn't like being called a boy band today I embrace it because mm-hmm. it's 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 what allows us allows me to to go off and, and be a part of this like pop 2000 tour or to be featured on uh, the new kids song boys in the band you know so back then we hated it today doesn't bother me at all
0: that's awesome and I completely agree um I love my boy bands like I said earlier so I never judge anybody there are a lot of talented you know singing dancing writing stuff I could never do yeah so
1: (laughs) seriously like you look at like the NSYNC so the Backstreet Boys you do all that dancing on top of the singing it's like holy cow you know these guys are amazing 98 degrees you know with their voices and their harmonies the old towns I mean, man, just really amazingly talented guys. And um, I just feel real fortunate to be able to work with, with some of them.
0: Was there a specific moment where you were kind of like, wow, we made it? Like seeing your music video on TRL or any specific moment that you can think of?
1: Certainly having your, your video on MTV is, is a pretty substantial uh, mm-hmm. thing right um but there was one moment it was uh, in 1999 and we were going to an autograph signing and like a small performance at a mall on long island and uh they had us like staged like by the food court and then they took us to the escalator to go down to the first level where the show was going to be we didn't really know what to expect, right? I think we were like, oh my gosh, hope, pe- hope people show up, you know? So we're going down the escalator, which as you know, is like slow motion, right? Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the people saw us, they went crazy. There was like 10,000 people in this mall. Wow. It, and it was like, but we're sitting there in slow motion going down this escalator, just taking it all in, you know what I mean? And so, I, I mean, I think it was a very emotional moment and it was definitely a moment where we're like, wow, people like us. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. Mall tours. I used to love those. <laughs> so mm-hmm. unfortunately a big thing of the past, but definitely a great platform because you went from mall tours to opening up for Britney Spears.
1: Yeah, we had the chance to share the stage with some pretty amazing artists, including Britney Spears and, um, you know, Backstreet NSYNC, lots of, lots of great artists.
0: Who was your, did you ever have like a starstruck moment where, you know, someone went up to you and said, you know, I love summer girls or I love girl on TV or even, you know, opening up for somebody that you really idolized.
1: Early on, we got a chance to uh, play some shows with LL Cool J. Okay. Um, And I think, yeah, for me, you know, LL Cool J was one of the rappers I grew up listening to. So that was, uh, that was probably the, the biggest. Um, One time, uh, p diddy puffy whatever we call him these days sean calls <laughs> i saw i ran into him and, he, and he's like yo thanks for wearing my hat in your video you know and i was like oh man of course because listen just give me a call and i'll send you some more gear i was like what do you mean give you a call yeah call the studio ask for puffy and i was like okay so one day i called the studio I'm like yeah this is Brad from LFO. can i speak to puffy it's like click oh <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah it was cool it was cool running into him you know um you know, I think when you, when you're in the business, you get to learn. That pretty much everybody's is just a normal person. They just have different jobs. You know, mm-hmm. I think for for me, like if I got a chance to meet some athletes, like Daryl Strawberry or Michael Jordan, that's probably what would make me go, Oh my gosh! You know, um, oh, you know what was cool meeting it was uh, Andy Garcia from uh, Okay, when a man loves a woman, the actor. You know, mm-hmm. that that was a that was probably that was a little bit surreal.
0: So we actually, I had Nick Thomas on from the Spill Canvas not long ago, and while oh, I was wow. researching, I learned that you kind of helped them with their first album and all of that, which I absolutely love. So, One Eleven Records. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So uh, when LFO took a hiatus, broke up in 2002, I immediately started a record label. I was always really involved with the business of LFO, so it was sort of a natural progression for me like you said, called 111 Records. And the first band I signed was this Bill Canvas. I did uh, their first two albums were um, through my label, 111. And uh, it's so beautiful to see Nick still out there playing shows. Um, he is one of the most talented guys you'll ever meet. And um, I, I really, it's one of the greatest honors of my life putting out his record, putting out records on uh, the Reign of Kendo, Rookie of the Year some of these indie bands that really continue to make a living making music.
0: What was it about their sound that you liked? Because I'm sure you have a bunch of different favorite kinds of music, not just what you performed, but what was it about, you know, that sound specifically, I guess.
1: Probably the fact that Nick was such an extraordinary lyricist. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no wasted words when he writes And his songs are very emotional and and you can sense the emotion in the way he sings them. Um, Yeah, I mean, listen, Nick was a kid from South Dakota. You know, his demo came in the mail one day and I listened to it, I was like, wow. I flew him in, we had a talk and uh, you know, the rest is history. Those guys, you know, after two records with me, we we moved them up to uh, the major label and they did a few records on the major label. And today, you know, I think independently, uh, you know, Nick's still out there representing Spill Canvas and, and playing shows and making new music. And I get a chance to see him every once in a while, but, um, man, what a talented, what a talented dude. And again, a great honor for me to, to, uh, have been a part of his musical journey.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. Where, so you are originally from New York, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I was born in New York. Um, pretty much grew up in new jersey uh, okay and, uh, and and rich from boston and Devin from new bedford massachusetts
0: because that's why you guys are my favorite because i'm from massachusetts i actually grew up a few towns over from rich so
1: oh what town
0: um hanover massachusetts
1: okay yeah he was in kingston
0: kingston yeah so with uh, that question i was just curious where was your favorite, or where is your favorite place to perform
1: You know, um, the House of Blues in Orlando has always been one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. We've played there probably six or seven times. Um, The place where I'm filming this live stream, I think, will be one of my favorites because it's set up similar to the House of Blues. And it's really beautiful. It's called The Vanguard. It's in Orlando. And uh, it's a a recently uh, refurbished venue. And they haven't had many shows yet because... I think they opened right around when the COVID hit. So I feel uh, I'm really, really fortunate that they are uh, allowing me to, to do the show there. And um, I think the Vanguard's gonna be one of my favorite places to play.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's such an awesome, you know, moment to do, you know, honoring um, Rich and Devin in the LFO legacy. I see you with the Adidas uh, behind you. Can you talk about yeah. the significance of those?
1: Yeah, you know, when Devin and I had the opportunity to bring LFO back out on the road, you know, it was a very hard decision. It was a decision we prayed about and discerned and finally decided to do. And we uh, got a pair of Shelto Adidas to represent Rich. Rich always wore Shelto Adidas. So everywhere we went, we had those Shelto Adidas, and on every stage, those Shelto Adidas. Um, yeah when the unthinkable happened and we lost Devin, i uh, i asked his fiance i said hey can i have his can i have his red sheltos and so here they are right here typically i keep these in my uh, both pairs in my closet mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a kind of a large big closet and uh before i leave the, the house every day i give them a little love you know Right now, I've got them set up in the studio. I'm, I'm up in the studio. This is where we've been practicing for the uh, for the show. And so we keep them close so we can always... Um, yeah, so they're there with us, you know, like, during our practices, they're, they're here with us and got some LFO pictures behind that. If you can see, you know, there's the mm-hmm. first album cover and second album covers over there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah it's a poignant moment you know looking at these shoes and, and thinking about those guys and it's just it's, it's an emotional experience Every, everything I do in the other full world is just a very emotional experience but I've got some great friends that are part of it you know like I said I've got a great band um, I've got our, our, the original LFO lighting director is coming out to do the show. Our original guitar players coming out doing a cameo. Got some great musicians, some uh, some guest artists that are that are joining us. So, um, you know, I always I always tell people, if LFO gave me nothing more than the relationships that were built. I would call it successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we didn't sell our record, but I had the relationship with with Harold or Devin or with Rich or Rick Bailey, Mike Caputo, who's like our fourth member, you know, he does, he travels everywhere with me, you know, Um, Heather, our lighting director, Tim, the drummer. I mean, all these people that were so special to us, they're worth more than a million records, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know you touched on you and Devin reuniting for a bit of a comeback. Were you nervous there'd be any like pushback to that or were you kind of nervous to even go out and do this kind of on your own?
1: Yeah, I mean we we certainly um, we certainly wondered how what the reaction would be mm-hmm. um, from the fans, and more importantly, you know, we wanted Rich's family to um, to, res- to respect it to to be okay with it. You know, because I know. I- I know how hard it was for them, and um, and I wanted to make it very clear to them that we were seeking to honor him, um, which is what we did. And um, thankfully, um, you know, we we have a we have a good relationship with his brother, his mother, sister, his father, and we had a chance to sit together and cry together, and um, and to have them. Show support and love for what we were doing, and e- even now it's like uh, you know, Rich's brother came to one of the top uh, two thousand dates with his son, who's named after Rich, Richie, mm. and um, you know we just we developed a really nice relationship again, and and uh, he supports my efforts to. Uh, honor those boys and to help continue the legacy listen again i don't want to do it Mm -hmm. you understand like i don't want to stand on the stage without them i don't want to not at all it's not my desire i never desired to stand alone on a stage Mm -hmm. but the opportunity came to honor these guys and that's my motivation is 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 to bring bring honor to them and so I'm very thankful for the opportunities. Thankful for my agent Matt, who's been amazing. I think for the old towns for sharing the stage with me and Cabrera and, and Lance and this band that's been working so hard and Mike Caputo and man, just a lot of good people um, around this project. Because you know what, Rich and Devon were so loved by so many. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're loved by fans, but you know the people in this room tonight before uh, our interview um they were here because you know they love those boys too just like me so it's kind of a long-winded answer and I apologize for that and you can no. it if you want to but you know here the fact is um it's a it's an unfortunate honor is what it is mm-hmm. it's the same thing I say you know I, I I work at a church and do music there and when people thank me for helping with the funeral for a loved one I just say it's it's an unfortunate honor I wish we didn't have to but now that I have to, I'm going to do it the best that I can. And that's where I am here. I wish I didn't have to represent LFO without Rich and without Devin. But now that I'm here, I'm going to do the best that I can and honor the best that I can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I actually, I love that saying, an unfortunate honor. I think I may have to adopt that at some point. That's such a, like, be- just no beautiful...
1: Yeah, you can use it, just pay me publishing, okay? <laughs> okay,
0: I'll put it in quotes. Mm-hmm. Have you worked with O-Town before this, during, you know, the early 2000s? Did you guys ever tour together or anything?
1: Yeah, we played some shows together. Um, you know, they were, they were sort of coming up towards a time where we were starting to come down a bit, but we definitely played shows together. They were really close with Rich, Rich's brother managed them for a while, and mm-hmm. Rich wrote some songs with them, so they were really close with Rich and and Devin. You know, had a lot of respect for his voice, you know. So when I get a chance to represent LFO with those guys, their the emotions they're feeling are real mm-hmm. because they love those guys too. So there's times on stage where like we can't look at each other because we'll start to cry. You know what I, mean? uh, I remember one show, and I kept trying to get. Eric's attention, and he was like ignoring me. And then afterwards, like, "Yo, what happened?" He goes, "Bro, if I looked at you, I was gonna cry." <laughs> so, it's 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 awesome. Those guys are so fun. They, you know, these tours these days, everybody just gets along. Back in the day, I think it was like this like this untold boy band tension. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. These days, it's like you know what? There's plenty of love for everybody, and let's let's just have some fun.
0: For sure. And a lot of you, I guess, were you all created kind of by the same management?
1: Um, we were all under the same umbrella. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. problem was behind each of the groups. Um, they each group formed differently, but yeah, mm-hmm. he was behind each of the groups. And you know, it's unfortunate the, uh, the path his life took because he really had the opportunity to be a, a music mogul. He was a very talented man. But unfortunately he had some stuff going on that um, I guess superseded his his talents.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I know a lot of people don't know this, but LFO stands for light funky ones. Whenever I tell people that they're kind of surprised. So what made you change well, the name? Or am I incorrect it, with it, that?
1: I mean, it's a, you know, if I was your teacher I, I would give you like maybe half credit. Okay. Um, <laughs> Because listen, when Rich was a, a teenage kid in Boston in the, you know, early nineties, late eighties, early nineties rapping, it wasn't normal. Rap wasn't really that mainstream yet, right? So they used to call him the light funky one because he was blonde hair, blue eyed rapper. You okay. Know I mean? And then when, when, you know, we became, uh, first there was a duo and then, uh, with, with Brian and a trio we became the light funky ones lfo then at some point we go that's kind of whack we don't really <laughs> we don't really like the light funky ones and that, that was cool for a little while but we're just going to go by lfo and so that's you know, that's really what it's uh, it's really had no meaning to us for a number of years you know we tell people oh it means losers from orlando or dying and oscar but but in reality it's just it's just lfo and um, there's a techno group called LFO. And so overseas, they had the trademarks. So our overseas albums will see LFO, but underneath it'll say light funky One. So it is what it is, you know, it's part of the story, I guess, And um, uh, um, you know, but it's just LFO, yeah.
0: So just real quick, I know a lot of bands started in Europe. Did you guys get your start in Europe as well? And then kind of come to the US?
1: Yeah, Europe was the first place that accepted us, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the scene for the boy band wasn't so good in the, you know, the mid nineties and, uh, we started over in Europe and, and we did okay. Like we became kind of famous, but nobody would buy our records. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, we couldn't leave the hotel, but we didn't have money to buy room service, you know? Uh, and then we had the opportunity to come out in the United States and, uh, a lady named Kelly Schweinsberg, God rest her soul, with a small label called Logic under BMG. She was the first to give us a chance. And so, um, yeah, I'm very thankful for her. She she, she she worked so hard for us. It's unbelievable. So, but yeah, we started in Europe, like, like a lot of the uh, bands in that time.
0: Mm-hmm. I was just curious. Now, as we kind of wrap this up, the LFO story is coming out. You're going to be doing it live stream April 30th. What do you hope people get out of that experience?
1: It's a good question. Emotions. Mm -hmm. It's going to have a lot of emotions. We're going to have some fun, but it's going to be sad too because we're telling the story chronologically, right? So from 2002 to 2018, there's not a lot of joyful things to talk about related to the story, you know? So there's going to be a chunk of that show that is going to be sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just the truth. The LFO story is a tragedy, you know, it really is. Um, but I think the overall theme is going to be one of joy. Somehow we're going to be able to interweave joy, redemption, love, and I hope at the end of the show, people feel that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, I do have to say, I think you're definitely keeping the legacy of LFO alive. Um, I've been a fan a long time and I'll definitely tune into the live stream. I'm really excited about it. And I like to always end kind of interviews with this question. So, you know, you were big in the late nineties. There were a lot of different fashion trends then. A lot of gelled hair, a lot of frosted tips, you know, baggy (laughs) jeans. Is there anything that you kind of miss from the late nineties, early two thousands look wise? (laughs)
1: wow you know i used to have these pants called ufo pants Mm -hmm. they were like almost like parachute pants but i i wore those and they were really comfortable and uh i guess i kind of miss those a little bit but um i don't really miss like the really really baggy like i'll once in a while i'll find like an old pair of jeans from those days go how how the heck did i wear those you know what i mean um and I used to wear a lot, a lot of jewelry. Very early on, like I would have rings on every single finger everywhere. I remember one time when we first got signed to Clive Davis and Arista Records, I was sitting in his office. He goes, Brad, what's with all the jewelry? You're a handsome guy. You don't need all that jewelry. <laughs> that, uh,
0: that was a great Clive, oh, Clive Davis impression.
1: <laughs> well, thank you.
0: You're welcome. But as I said, I'm really excited about this. I know my listeners are going to be really excited and, you know, thank you for keeping it alive because nostalgia, I love it. I think it's really important to bring people back to that more fun time of their life, you know, a little carefree.
1: I think you're right. You know, um, this is not an easy world. Mm -hmm. This is not an easy life, especially Especially in this particular generation, with, with, with social media and twenty four hour news, and so I look at what we do as a, a little break from reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all need it. You know, for me, um, I, you know, I put some old TV shows on at the end of the day just to sort of break from reality. And so I think the uh, these nostalgic shows are, are great for people because people need entertainment. You know and uh, people need a, an outlet and a break from the craziness of life so that's my goal when I'm out there um obviously my main goal is honoring the boys but to, be, to bring some joy into the lives of people and to uh take them back to a simpler time
0: absolutely well I'm excited guys make sure to follow Brad on Instagram his handles Brad Fischetti and also LFO official is that correct
1: The Real LFO, yeah. Oh,
0: The Real LFO. Sorry about that. Make sure to follow The Real LFO. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for asking. Thank you for uh, keeping pop music alive. And to all those watching, thanks for uh, spending a little bit of your time with us today. Peace. God bless you.